This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Hi everyone, I'm Jenny and this is Hyphenated, a podcast about living in the hyphen. Today we have a very special guest host who happens to be my good friend Annie Segarra, also known as Annie Elaney, an American YouTuber, artist, and activist for LGBT and disability rights. Segarra, who is queer, Latinx, and disabled, advocates for accessibility, body positivity, and media representation of marginalized communities. I am so glad you're here, Annie. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so excited for what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> oh, me too, because you and I often find ourselves venting about <laughs> these things. And every time I see you posting on Instagram and just you are a well of knowledge. <laughs> and so I've learned so much from you and me being a newly chronically ill individual have have just learned a lot from you and so i appreciate that and i'm sure so many other people have also uh, because it's not talked about often also because it's not really seen in mainstream media yeah oh my gosh you and i were talking about it before something that i advocate a lot about right is um, being an ambulatory wheelchair user so yes. for those who uh, don't know me, don't know about like my condition, my disabilities, I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which uh, is a genetic connective tissue disorder. It affects a lot of my body, uh, my joints, my skin, my blood vessels, and my internal organs. And um, where I lie on the spectrum of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, I use a wheelchair for long distances, and I, and I use a cane for shorter distances, and I'm sometimes able to walk like without any assistance at all but it'll be for very very short bursts of time um and this is something that a lot of people find confusing so i had to create a whole campaign about it <laughs> called ambulatory wheelchair users exist um because so many people think that just because they see a wheelchair user stand up that they're faking using a wheelchair um and circle back right we were talking about how like in novellas that happens mm -hmm. so much that the villain is always a wheelchair user who eventually stands up from their wheelchair to some dramatic music yeah <laughs> and to to, yeah. to reveal that they were faking all along but we like never see any characters that are ambulatory wheelchair users that are not villains 
Novelas are so messed up. It's <laughs> wild to me. You've experienced many a time where people look at you like you're a villain when they see you get up from your wheelchair. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, uh, so many different cases. I've, I've always had some ability to walk a little bit. So I remember the first time I used my wheelchair to leave my house, somebody saw me get out of the driver's seat, go to the trunk and get my wheelchair out, sit down in it and go into the store. They like followed me into the store and they approached me to tell me, hey, you know, if you lost some weight, you probably wouldn't need to use that wheelchair. <laughs> wow. Um, Thanks for nothing. It was horrible. because like an idiot. At that point, like I said, that was my first time really leaving the house uh, after I, I needed my wheelchair to, to leave it. And um, uh, so my self-esteem wasn't too great. Like this was an adjustment that I was going through. I, I like... I could feel everybody's eyes on me every time I was in public because everybody's eyes go to the wheelchair. They're like, whoa, a wheelchair out in the wild. Never seen that before. So <laughs> I always God. feel the people staring at me. Um, not so much, I think, recently, but sometimes I'll still catch it. Um, but mm. yeah, that was like one, I think like, that was one of more the more tame ones. I've had situations where that uh, was people... tame. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that that was uh, in in relativity to like other situations. Uh, fortunately for me, I call that tame because it's not as violent as has a, happened to other people. Um, people have yeah. been left like horrible. Um, harassment notes on their car people have gotten beat up uh because they walked away from a parking spot that was marked uh disabled parking spot accessible parking spot um so that's the kind of anxiety i deal with to be honest with the amount of ignorance that there is about ambulatory wheelchair users where i'm just kind of terrified like one day somebody's gonna like punch me in the face thinking that i am that novella villain because I'm able to get up from my wheelchair for a little bit. I've heard situations where like at the theme parks, especially like Disney World, <laughs> where as an ambulatory wheelchair user, it's very accessible to me to like go around the park um, with my wheelchair and then get up out of my chair to transfer into a ride or something. Uh, one person did that. And then when she got back into her wheelchair, uh, a kid, maybe like eight years old, ran up to her and kicked her in the leg and then <gasps> ran back to her to to their dad and the dad said serves her right for faking a disability <laughs> like that's the kind of violence that like the ignorance oh creates my fucking god mm -hmm. i well here why why the anger it's like they're trying so hard to be allies like what are they what are they what do they think they're I doing? I guess so. What do, what do they I think they're accomplishing with this. That's why I have like a, a a slimmer of hope that like creating awareness campaigns can kind of like calm the violence down because it's coming from a weird, um, yeah, like super ally place. Like I'm so angry that you take things away from disabled people. Um, <laughs> You know, like it comes from a certain place and I'm like, I feel like your intentions are kind of good. 
but you're actually hurting disabled people by not doing all of the work, right? By not actually learning about diverse disabilities. Instead, you've allowed the little bit of representation that you've seen regarding disability, which is like disabled villains, a disabled villain trope, which is not, you know, exclusive to novellas. It's, um, it's everywhere, right? You see Captain mm-hmm. Hook, the governor from Walking Dead, Eyepatch. Um, you see uh, villains that are amputees or with uh, facial differences slash disfigurements with respect to how folks identify with that language. Like there is usually some kind of visible disability that is correlated to a villain. And I'm like, huh, that uh, y'all trying to say something? <laughs> And that shit's getting mad old and I'm tired of it. And I, I, you know, I'm starting to see changes in in media. It's a mm-hmm. slowly but surely type of thing. You know, I wish it could go a little faster, but that's what's so important about having people in the writer's room and people in positions of power who come from diverse uh, backgrounds. And that kind of uh, also brings up for me how disability is just so kind of segregated in the community in like the community at large i i don't just mean like uh latinx community i mean like society in general um in the way that like you know disabled students are separated from non-disabled students at school and disabled Mm. living versus non-disabled living um and and i i think about how like because of that segregation um there, yeah, that also invites the ignorance. And so then people don't even know how to be a good ally to disabled people when they want to be. They think mm-hmm. something like harassing people who may, they don't know, may be faking a disability in public um, is is the right way to go about it. That's what I mean. I think that people really need to explore like their relationships with disabled people and I think that's hard, and I and I commend people who want to be allies. I think it's hard when there's so much separation and so little representation that they're like, kind of just like running around with heads cut off. Like we don't even know how to be helpful, and when we try to be helpful, we're being harmful. And to that, I say, okay. So then, listen to us. <laughs> so yeah, how, how yes. about how about like putting us in writers rooms how about supporting our projects how about diversifying your social media feeds so that you actually have disabled creators as a part of your um scrolling periods of your day so that you get to see us as human beings you know absolutely hopefully that is the direction that we're moving I that's what I tell people constantly. I'm like, here are a bunch of YouTubers and content creators that you can follow. Thank God for that, at least. Right. Where, yeah, like mainstream media is failing us Mm -hmm. when it comes to representation and getting authentic stories told from disabled folks. But there's kind of no excuse right now because of people like you who exist, who create content that is educational and informative yeah and a big issue is when it comes to invisible illness even on days for where you are not using your cane or the wheelchair right 
where they're like, oh, Annie's dancing. She must not be that disabled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Ooh. oh, Annie, <laughs> Annie's going to VidCon or Annie's traveling. So I guess she's faking it. Which speaks to like the ableism that we're all trying to exist in all the time and how like whether it's neurodivergence or invisible illness, right? Like a certain types of person experience is like being absolutely freaking traumatized by ableism um, and constantly trying to like, you know, make it look like we are not as disabled as we really are because of ableism, because, because we're scared of whether people might think we're unreliable when it comes to work um, or we are lazy or whatever other kind of um, negative view people have of people with disabilities were like, no, 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 I'm fine. No, 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 no. Like when your whole body is falling apart and you're like, it, it's, it's okay. It's fine. I, I got, I got this. I got this. You're putting all your energy into presenting yourself in a way that is palatable to people who may exhibit ableist traits who may who who may have ableist opinions about you um so it's really a tool for survival it feels a little like speaking a different language like changing your coding it's it's a change of code from like your natural disabled way of communicating and doing things and then yeah how you engage and interact with other people period you and i both and so many people within this uh, spectrum of chronic illness and disability and have have experienced this shitty ignorance and it nauseates me because it's 2021 and we're being judged for having service animals or emotional support dogs or you know getting out of you know getting out of your wheelchair or like it, it, I could just the list goes on and on yeah it's like and i'm like what's happening it's so heavy because there is so much as disabled people and chronically ill people that we do struggle through we power through um and then on top of that we also have to deal with like the impact of people and their ignorance and their ableism and the shame that they like project onto us like dealing with healthcare workers who um are for one reason or another biased against your gender biased against um the sound of your voice the, la the last name lorenzo and so many people experience that and it's made them distrust the medical system um i have my own like dark trauma stories about like what i went through with the, with the healthcare system and the doctors that I experienced, um, like, who, by the time, nobody, nobody was helping me figure out what was happening to my body, because up until I was 23, I was able to walk pretty okay. I, I, I ended up in pain earlier than other people, um, and I was just like, huh. Hmm. And so that's when I started seeking uh um, medical professionals and every time I went to to any professional they were just like you look fine and like sent me home what the hell until I had to do the research on my own found the diagnosis Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and I'm like I think 
this is what it is. And then I had doctors laugh at me and they went, you don't have that. Anyway, and like change the subject to something else. I was like scared. I didn't know what was happening to my body and why I was losing the ability to walk. I was like, am I going to freaking die? Like, what is this? And then nobody's listening to me. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Eventually, just by luck, I was at one of the doctors that, um, again, was being very dismissive of anything I had to say. Um... And he was showing me a scan of my hips and he was very like shocked to see that essentially I was walking around on like dislocated hips. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a, a symptom of what I've been trying to tell you. I think I have. So I would like to be tested for it. He goes, no, no, no. I don't think you have that. Anyway, um, what I would like to do is. Um... Pero, pero que creen esta gente? <laughs> what, what, what? I don't know. But what was his alternative? I don't know. I don't There's know. so much hubris. There is just so much ego. I'm not saying I hate all healthcare professionals. I'm exactly. saying that there is a systematic problem in the healthcare system yes. where so many people, so many people are having the same experiences as me, trying, yeah. trying to get diagnosis and trying to get treatment. That doctor said, no, I don't think you have this. So here's what I want to do. I want to set you up for an operation to fuse your joints together. And I oh, cute. Okay. had a meltdown in the office. I started like screaming, sobbing, like just so triggered, so triggered that someone was going to like, like, would rather like put me under the knife, would rather risk more damage to my body than listen to me. So I had a full meltdown, just like sobbing. I had like, I was slamming my palms on his desk and like, it was a, it was a show. He hated that. Like he was annoyed by that, of course. Didn't, didn't see that as a, as a real thing. Uh, and then a woman doctor came in to hand him something. Don't know if that was an excuse or not. And she, and she looks over at me and she goes, why is she crying? And uh, he, again, is so freaking mean. He goes, Ugh, I roll. She thinks she has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. <laughs> what a fucking piece of shit. You're a piece of shit, whoever you are. God. He, he was such scum. He was such scum. He was such scum. Um, but, like, the happy ending Ay, to that. Meal. Happy ending to that was, like, she was very sweet. And she was like, oh, I've never heard of that. Um, do you mind spelling it for me? Let me look it up. And she And she looked it up. Like, and she wasn't... Like, it didn't seem like the intent was to argue with this guy. She just, like, wanted to 
amend an ignorance. She goes, oh, I've never heard of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome before. Uh, do you mind spelling that for me? I would love to look it up. And she looked it up and she like looked at the like the brief uh, definition of it. And then she looked up at my scan and she just said to him, she could have this. <laughs> and um, from that one line, he like, still was not apologetic, was still super annoyed, rolled his eyes again, threw his arms up in the air, and is like, fine, I'll send her to a geneticist. And um, that's what I've been waiting for this entire time. I've been trying to get an appointment, a referral to see a geneticist for like at least a year at that point. Um, and I went to the geneticist, talked to her about my symptoms, and she's like, yeah, you could very well have this. Uh, but she, even she that's the trouble with having a rare condition even she as a geneticist was like but i uh have not worked with ehlers-danlos syndrome before i don't feel right clinically diagnosing you which that's a toughie because with that condition for the most part you need a clinical diagnosis um because there's different types of it most of the types mm -hmm. um most of the types are uh, able to find through blood tests, but the most common type doesn't have um, a blood test for it yet. So you just need uh -huh. to kind of check the boxes off. You just need to find a doctor uh -huh. that that knows enough about it to be able to do that for you, that can just check the boxes and send you home like same day <laughs> with a diagnosis. Yes. Um, she didn't feel comfortable doing that, so she gave me the blood test. And by good luck slash whatever luck um i didn't have the most common type i had a rarer type that came out in the blood test so like at that point i was like well it's in the blood test nobody can tell me anything anymore that i have like one of the rarer types of eds that came out in the blood test so it's like a happy ending but like these are the stories mm -hmm. and in like you know that's another like way that like kind of latinidad and disability kind of intersect there is kind of often especially like in immigrant families and in low-income families this like kind of pushback against any kind of illness or disability like if you're not dying you're mm -hmm. not going to the hospital I remember it was like really normalized in my house one of the first things that was kind of like an indicator of like my EDS blood vessel problem stuff is that like I was nine years old and I got out of the bath and I started losing my vision and what was happening was I was starting to faint. I yelled for my mom, I was nine and I was losing my vision. I was like, mom, I can't see, I can't see. And she came in and she like immediately knew what to do. Just like, here, sit down on the toilet, put your head between your knees. I'm gonna get an ice bag, we're gonna put an ice bag over your head. Um, and here, drink, drink, drink this ice water, let's go. And then like, and she, and we prevented um, a fainting spell. Um, which is what I've gotten accustomed to. And I pretty much do it like it's that's my entire life now. It's like preventing fainting mm. spells. So I never like fully faint because I always like figure out either like prevent it using safety measures or prevent it like by regulating my body temperature again. I got out of that and I was like, what was that? My mom said to me, oh, that's OK, honey. That's normal. It happens all the time because mm. because it was happening to her because it happened in the family right but like nobody went to the doctor to see I, about this. Dios <laughs> i have lost count how many times just like you i've had anxiety attacks in doctor's offices or like at the er because of the same egotistical 
eye-rolling attitude of some of these people in the field. And if you're listening and if you are uh, studying to be a nurse or a doctor, I, as, as a patient, I beg of you that in today's day, especially where patients also have a lot of information at their fingertips, you need to listen to your patients. I get it. We didn't go through medical school and we didn't dissect corpses. I get it. But at the same time, I've learned through so many doctors that I've seen and talking to the really, really good ones is that not all doctors are up to date because things are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. They're not up to date on the um, medical literature. They are not up to date on like a lot of them don't even go to conferences. So, you know, yeah. that are necessary. Like there's a lot there that other doctors have explained to me. They're like, unfortunately, this is why not everyone is equipped. Yeah. It's why not everyone listens. Um, like you, I had I, I, I was dealing with a lot of um not fainting spells, but I was getting really dizzy and I was like, Do I have vertigo? I went through every test in the book from like an MRI to EKGs, to a hearing test. And I had this one guy doctor be like, it's anxiety. Oh, it's always anxiety. They love to pin it, especially with women. Yeah, absolutely. Because because we always have to like find the new hysteria for um, like women aligned, women presenting like people. Um, yep. And, and anxiety, conversion disorder, those are all like the things that like, um, so many professionals like to just kind of use as a way to dismiss anything else. Oh, and don't even get me started on like weight and how like any oh. anything that's happening in your body. If you're like overweight, underweight, then your weight is the problem. Fix your weight, and then I'll look at anything else. Is the most dangerous thing I've ever heard, and I can't believe that it's so so common. And this kind of like fat phobia and like weight like bias that happens in healthcare spaces i i can't believe that they haven't caught on to how dangerous it is to do that to people to be like oh just go home fix your weight to the number i would like it to be and then i'm gonna look and see if there's any other anything else that i should be looking at that's laziness um, that's just lazy practice truthfully <laughs> it's I, I just not only is it fat phobic but it's also just they don't want to try to get down to the bottom of what you have so they blame it on something they see externally like oh it's your weight yeah it's very surface level i was saying that too about like what doctors don't know i have yet to like meet any kind of professional that i need to know about eds actually know about eds i still all the time do not meet professionals that know what my condition is um constantly meeting professionals that are like can i can i have my med student come talk to you and i'm just like and that puts so much pressure on me i'm like okay i have i have five minutes with with with, with this like med student which like sometimes goes really well and they're super receptive and they basically listen to my TED talk about my condition. Um, and, and sometimes I've had, <laughs> I've had one med student who's like, so you have EDS? Yes, I do. So you like dislocate easily? I'm like, yes, I do. And then he, without asking me, just like lifts up my arm towards him and tries <gasps> to dislocate my thumb. <laughs> what the fuck? And I immediately like pull my hand back. I was like, um, no, don't do that. 
And then even though I did that, he grabs my arm from back here, pulls it again towards him, and again tries to bend my thumb backwards. What? And I said, no, don't do I that. I want to punch that motherfucker <laughs> in the face. And he's like, but I need to see how far. No, you don't. You don't need to see how far back it went. What? No, get out of here. <laughs> I think that I actually literally told him to get out of the room because I was like, what a dick. I really hope he's not a doctor. I snitched on him right away, and I was like, no, 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 no. This person just tried to dislocate my thumb, like, so he could see what? That I really had EDS? What? What a jerk. That's scary information always to, like, tell the public, because I I watch too much true crime, and I'm like, oh, somebody's going (laughs) to use how easily... My joints dislocate one day. Oh, no. Oh, my God. No, Annie, no. Protect. protect. But I I think that's what's what's so important is, like, for the longest time, I didn't want to open up about my Crohn's disease. And I remember, I you know, I've gone to doctors over at Cedar sinai which a lot of celebrities go to Cedar sinai And I remember my gastro there was like, oh, yeah, you would be surprised as to how many celebrities I see with Crohn's and colitis. Mm -hmm. But they don't open up about it. Oh, it's such a huge stigma for sure. It's a a huge stigma. And I think it's, again, it's because of the whole, like, I'm not going to get work if people find out. And I'm like, you know what? It shouldn't matter because at the end of the day, we're still doing the damn thing. We're talented. We're working our asses off. We get shit done. I would rather be open about my mental illness and my neurodivergence with ADHD and be open about my Crohn's because... I'm not just doing this. I'm not in this career solely for like, yay, look at me, I'm famous. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, I love making people laugh and I want to be creative, but at the same time, if I have a platform, then I want to use it for good. I've had people write me, and I'm sure you've had tons of people write you, like parents and people with chronic illness and maybe specifically EDS. And for me, people with Crohn's and ADHD have reached out and said, because of you, I got a diagnosis or because of you, I'm going to go check, get checked out. You know, yeah. I always tell people, always get a second opinion, a third opinion, research your doctors, freaking do whatever you can to make sure that you are heard. Absolutely. Because a lot of people, I think, just take a doctor's word off the bat and they just go home and then become more and more ill. Yep. You need to fight for yourself. You need to advocate for yourself. And I know it's not easy. And I know not everyone might have the personality to do so. So I always think it's good to have that support system, whether it's like a family member or, or a significant other or a friend to come with you and and help you yeah that would be that, that would have been so great um I know that's like, I, <laughs> I my, my experience is like super isolated so like oh, yeah I didn't no. really have I didn't have like really any support to to do that but like that and that also brings up just what happens sometimes especially in like immigrant Latinx families this episode is brought to you by AARP 18 years from tonight Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. 
Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Something I've, I've observed in a lot of Latino families is they don't want the diagnosis. They don't want a label to be put on themselves, on their children, um, that would hinder them because there's this big pressure, especially as like immigrant families, especially as low income families, um, to, you know, find that like financial success. And so a lot of people feel like if there is some kind of label, if there is some kind of diagnosis, then that is that much harder I mean and that happens like with any kind of like marginalized identity period in, in my family mm -hmm, it was like mm -hmm. you're already Latina and a daughter of immigrants you can't be gay <laughs> you, you 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 can't you can't be disabled also like we need you we need you to like you know do the things and be and be successful so like that that's in the past and like in my immediate family uh they're they're okay with my queerness uh, okay mm -hmm. okay is the perfect word <laughs> they're okay with it yeah enthusiastic no <laughs> but okay an extended family extended family we don't talk about it extended latino family they're they're just they're just happy to pretend oh she's just quirky <laughs> she, like, yeah she's just a 30 year old that never had a boyfriend and is just quirky um so <laughs> We don't talk about it, but like, yeah, like the disability was the thing that like, it's a, it's a double thing. It's like, there's a subconscious thing about like, oh no, what are you going to do? Like, you need to be financially successful. And if you have a disability, we have no examples of disabled financial success. So that just seems like ah. an impossibility to us. It's never going to yeah. happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's partly that and partly I think just like, you know, your basic, um, You know, families never want their relatives, their loved ones to be sick. So it's just, they just kind of um, dance together in that way. They just, like this, this, uh, this feeling of like, no, you don't have anything. You're perfect. You know, that, that, that basic denial of like, no, 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 you're not sick. And then the secondary, like social political thing of like, no, you're not politically, financially marginalized. So, so all these things um, are going through people's minds in regards to like attaining any kind of diagnosis through the healthcare system. So that's why a lot of people like, they don't want that second opinion, third opinion, because they want, <laughs> they like that dismissal. They want to be they're, able to hear. They're, yeah, they're like, yeah. the, doc the doctor said nothing is wrong with me. So nothing is wrong with me. They'll take it home. They'll keep it. And they the people who are actually, you know, sick will like suffer and struggle until they hit a breaking point. And at that point, like I just cross my fingers that you find the right doctor that like will give you the right diagnosis and the help that you need. Well, I always wondered, I'm like, why is it that my my people <laughs> always just accept what the doctor says and calls it a day? And I'm like, no, that's you clearly are not OK. <laughs> like. 
this doctor doesn't know what they're talking about and you're just going home going bueno el doctor dijo que estoy bien tú sabes que tengo que ponerme en dieta para mi colesterol y ooh that one hurts because we're talking about like we're very aware right now as like millennials like going going through the process and so you and I if like we run into a doctor that's like your weight is a problem I'm not going to bother looking at anything else we're like that is wrong you cannot do that to people you cannot just dismiss yeah. what is happening in my body because of the weight that I'm at but people who are older have that mindset exactly they're like they they will go home with the same exact experience that you and I went through and they're like oh the doctor just said I need to lose weight and now feel better like and take like some random medication that's gonna only fuck my liver. Yeah, you need so much more than that. You need you need people to actually look at your health and not just like look at you, have a biased opinion of you and send you home with just that. Like th that is not acceptable. I mean, I know we're going on tangents here, but I wanted to touch upon this also, speaking of weight, right? It's, it's not just an issue amongst our doctors, it's again, within our community, I grew up understanding both sides, both my mom being obese. She was over 300 pounds at one point throughout my childhood, right? And her doctors would say, you're morbidly obese. And people, that's all they would see. And I, I as a kid, I would deal with people talking shit about my mom. But what's funny is that even my mom, at her heaviest, was healthier than my father, who was the skinny one. Then me, being una flacucha, but it's it's genuinely in my it's in my genetics. Like my sister and I both got my dad's like metabolism. But every time I go back to freaking Miami, I'm telling you every freaking time someone stops me and tells me I'm too skinny and I need to <gasps> eat. And I say all this to say that our culture también, bro, you y'all need to shut up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, truly, like, like you said stop. it all. You said it all when you said, like, some people are told to lose weight, some people are to told to gain it. And I'm like, truly, everybody should just shut up because if it were you on the other side of that, let's say you have a disability, let's say, let, let's, for the sake of argument, it is your weight that is part of this disability. The, the weight is the health issue. Imagine if every single person you met every single day said to you the same thing. If you did this, you would no longer be unhealthy. If you did this, you would no longer be disabled. And you just had to go on essentially a freaking book tour every day, explaining to people your health, explaining to people your body, or, or just listening to that on repeat, every single person giving you the same advice about what you should do for your optimal health. No, that's not, that's not a good time. That's not pleasant. That's not appropriate. So don't do that to people. Don't give people unsolicited advice. If you ever feel genuine concern about someone's health, maybe even give them a warning like, hey, like there's something that I think might, might help. Like, are, are you in a place to like talk about that right now? And they can tell you. No, it's probably going to be a no. Um, and if they are open to like listening to advice about their health, then maybe it's a yes. And maybe you guys can talk about it. But it is so inappropriate to just like, especially to strangers, be like, here's what I think is going to like help you in regards to your health, in regards to your appearance, in, regard, in regards to your body. It's not appropriate. It, it needs to end yesterday. No way. Mic drop. <laughs> So Annie, a lot of folks like us um, in the disability and chronic illness community often will say something like, oh, I only have 
enough spoons to do this today or I don't have enough spoons for that. And oftentimes people on the outside don't know what we're talking about when we're, t- when we're mentioning spoons. So do you care to elaborate? Yeah, we use the word uh, spoonie. It's a way that some people identify. Not everybody identifies with it. And like they have their reasons. So spoons were used by a chronic illness blogger as a metaphor for like the amount of energy one might have as a disabled, chronically ill person, mentally ill person, anyone under the disability umbrella. Um, so like their example was like um, at the at the dinner table with a variety of spoons that if I want to take a shower, that would maybe take me two spoons, whatever, just like a nice little like calculation of the mm-hmm. amount of energy specific to anyone with a disability has during the day. And so it functions kind of like you could make that metaphor. So many things, gas tanks, you know, uh, battery charging, etc. But it's the term is is specific to like disability culture and how much yeah. limited energy you have as a disabled person. I, I like saying it. I'm like, Mira, I only have so many cucharas to deal with your bullshit today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm up to here. Love it. With my cucharas. Love it. Um, but oh my gosh, Annie, this has been incredible. I have been wanting to interview you for so long and have you as a guest on our podcast because it is such an important dialogue, especially for our community. <laughs> Um, because I I have dealt with so much ignorance from both doctors and people within my own hometown of good old Miami, Florida, and in the, even in the comments section of my videos, um, and, and and hearing all your stories and the stories of so many of my other disabled friends, and I'm like, what do we have to do <laughs> to just? <laughs> To really just like shout it from the rooftops that people are just not educated enough um, on this. So is before we close, what would you like to tell our audience? I know there's so much, but if there's one thing that you could tell them to think about, think about or if they want to learn more about disability and chronic illness and invisible illness, what would it be? Um... I would say definitely that if you want to, then the work does fall on you to look for it because so much of it is already out there. There's so many books, there's so many creators. Um, I I wouldn't recommend like hopping into the DMs of any kind of disabled creator and like, and you know, asking them to explain everything 101 because I'm sure they have like YouTube videos, um, or any ki- other kind of um, social media, video, writing, blogging, content for where they they talk about that stuff. And like, very importantly, learning about like the spectrums of disability that it's not binary, like blindness and deafness are not just like an on and off switch. It's not just people can hear or cannot hear, but there's spectrums of how much you can hear and spectrums of how much you can see and me with EDS and spectrums of how long I'm able to be on my feet, how long I'm able to dance, um, how, how long I'm able to be in an upright position or in a hot temperature before I pass out. Hmm. Like th- there's just such big spectrums and it's so individual person to person. 
And I guess like the only other thing I could say is just to like really put that on your table, put that on your desk to learn about disability and learn about accessibility and how to be more inclusive and welcoming to disabled people in your life. Love it. And where can people find you? I am at Annie Elaney on everything except Facebook where I use my name, Annie Sagara. And Annie Elaney is with a double E in the middle because it's Annie Elaney. (laughs) (laughs) So when you try to write it, there's going to be two E's in there and that's how you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Annie. You are the best. Thank you so much. And hopefully some people walk away with some good stuff today. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.